This is Max. This is Christina. This is Evan. This is Allie. And you're listening to Semi Pros. You haven't read the half of it. Today we're talking about Kerry Sakamoto's Floating City. kind of gives this whole element to Frankie's life that it's like, are you cursed? Like, it yeah, has that yeah, kind yeah, of exactly. feel to it. They kind of tie that, like, what he sees as the curse of the, like, Mongolian spot yeah. back to that priest. Or the curse of the number four. I There's feel like four the, of whole, us, guys. This, the whole... Yeah. Sp- <laughs> There's four of us. Yeah, this podcast is cursed. For sure. <laughs> I mean, for we knew sure. that. sure. We already yeah. knew that, though. I think, yeah, like, there's the curse of four. There's the priest that's, like, a very present specter. There's his Mongolian spot. Like, mm-hmm. again, I guess this speaks to my whole chip on the shoulder thing where it's, like, wherever he goes, he's haunted. Mm-hmm. He feels the presence of these things. And just when he thinks he's getting success, like, one of those things comes back to remind him of who he really is like and his fucking wife. Hates that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like his wife. He's like, uh, we're here. Hello. She's like, I have a baby, by the way. <laughs> um, so Floating City is, it's an interesting book because it's kind of, well, the tagline is that it's a Citizen Kane reimagined, but it definitely has a little bit of a fairy tale element to it, I would say. There's a lot of magical realism in the book. Um, and it's about Frankie, who is Japanese-Canadian, and the book starts in Port Alberni, where he lives with his family in a logging camp. Um, and then from there, World War II starts, and they end up in a in an internment camp in the interior of BC. And then Frankie ends up moving to Toronto after that. Um, and basically... Frankie always wants to get, he's always looking for something more, even when he's with his family. He wants to do more. He wants to do something else. Uh, He is really fascinated with gardens and the floating house that they live on and wants to build a floating garden when they're in Port Alberni. And so when he moves to Toronto, he is definitely looking to make his mark and become successful in some sense. And when he's in Toronto, he Managed to get, manages to get a job uh, with this family in Rosedale who happen to be developers, like within the developing community and architects. And from there, he meets his, uh, I don't mentor. Mentor, yeah. Buckminster Fuller, Bucky, who is actually a real person, but functions as kind of like a fairy godfather-esque <laughs> figure in the book. Um, and... Frankie basically ends up getting involved in the development of Toronto and Toronto's waterfront um, in the early days when the land along the waterfront was considered not viable because it was just swampy and people thought it couldn't be developed. So he ends up buying this land uh, for very cheap and then developing very expensive condos and properties on it and becoming this very successful person. But along the way, he has to make a lot of sacrifices, like his family, who's still in the interior in BC, and whether or not he's helping bring them over to Toronto, and his wife. And basically, It's a story about your ambitions and what it is that you're willing to give up in order to achieve the success that you want in life. Good reading, Allie. Good summary. Wow. Very nice summary. (laughs) It's like I worked on the book. (laughs) (laughs) So like what happens in the book is essentially there's Hurricane Hazel, which destroys a lot of the waterfront properties, which at the time were like super cheap housing, Mm -hmm. like they were either trailers or like kind of poorly constructed homes that people with lower incomes we're living in and so Frankie sees an opportunity to like buy all this land from these people who are desperate at like a pittance and like need just any source of income. yeah exactly mm-hmm. so he like basically offers them a deal and it's kind of a turnabout because it's essentially what happened to his family mm-hmm. in Port Alberni right like people went around and were like listen 
times are coming they're gonna not let japanese yeah. people own their own land so like so you might as well for, sell it to us yeah, now instead of getting nothing and so people like ripped off his family so he kind of like goes and rips off people who have been devastated by hurricane hazel with the intention of building this massive cloud tower is that what they call it yeah a giant tower which I think is not real, I assume. <laughs> the floating city, though, apparently was an actual it proposal. It was a project, yeah. yeah um, in the 60s that they actually kind of suggested for Toronto. Seems like a real 60s happening. suggestion. Yeah. Let's yeah. have a floating <laughs> Why a floating don't we just city? live on the water? Yeah. No one owns the water. I feel like, I don't know what it'd be like living in a floating house, because I feel like you'd be very, be like having a waterbed for a bed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> for a house. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking about that, too. I was like, when he was like, why not make a floating hotel and a floating everything? Like, I was like, who the fuck wants to fucking like, be seasick all the time? Like, I don't know. That cloud tower, uh, when I was reading it, I think that for me was like, I know there are sort of like magical realism mm-hmm. aspects of it, but I was just like, it's so tall, it blots out the sun and kids get rickets. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was kind what of like, is that even impossible? That? <laughs> like, Did you think of the CN Tower when they were talking yes. about the Cloud Tower? Well, the CN Tower like, is obviously much narrower, but yeah. I'm just like, there are a lot of tall buildings downtown and like, kids don't get rickets. <laughs> I mean, yes. obviously like nutrition is better yes. now. Yeah. But it was in one the of 50s. the very interesting things about city planning is whether or not you can build buildings as high or as you want or where they are because they do do that like shadow casting to yeah, see what true. areas are going to be too shadowy not necessarily rickets but mm-hmm. i always thought that was interesting <laughs> i so, think yeah i think that's a real i think that should be a real concern i don't think anyone should block whether kids the are getting rickets very, <laughs> no, it was like that the episode sun. of the uh, the simpsons i was gonna say it's yeah. a episode <laughs> of the simpsons where they try to freaking block out the sun and they succeed i mean a lot of this reminds me of things about the simpsons well yeah. obviously the citizen kane episode yeah also, <laughs> obviously that episode that the, the simpsons howard, did that was also the howard hughes like, episode where oh. i feel like a oh, lot yeah, of yeah. this and like the contraptions that they have is very like up in the spruce moose like, <laughs> it's very like flights of fancy and like i don't know having like being somebody who moved to toronto enjoyed the parts of like exploring toronto mm-hmm. in that time like mm-hmm. it being like this is cabbage town this is rosedale and then talking about i'm kind of interested in city planning and development yeah. in general so the discussions about the development of the waterfront and looking at it that way um i enjoyed those parts and thought that they were like done well in representing kind of like the different neighborhoods and the different groups of people who lived them lived in them at that time riding the subway for the first time riding the subway for the oh, first yeah. time um, finding your way around like it was kind of interesting too because it was like so it's interesting because living in toronto you forget that you're right on the water a lot of the time yeah. mm-hmm. because, because of the development, of development <laughs> yeah but Along like the this, water run. M- this book is so much about water in toronto but sometimes you're just like oh yeah like other cities you're like oh obviously they're yeah. on the water but toronto a lot of times doesn't feel like it when you're walking around in it that's a good point okay so i have two questions then yes one is did you like frankie no. And are we supposed to like Frankie? And the other is, did the magical realism stuff work for you? Like, what did you think of that? Who wants to go first at, did, did you, you like, like Frankie, Frankie and why? I, I mean, Christina already said, no. said no. And why? Because <laughs> he's annoying. He's annoying. I just feel that he has, mm, he has that unique mix of like chip on your shoulder and extreme entitlement that really bothers me. Like, in all people that I see. Like, just in the world, that type of combination of characteristics, really. Chip on your soul, shoulder and... Extreme entitlement. Like, he feels like he deserves he to have some yeah, sort he of looks success. down. He looks down on his family. He looks down on his people. You know, he thinks his father was an idiot for selling the house for $50 and they could have gotten 200 whatever. He 
wonders if they are really all essentially evil because they, you know, bombed Pearl Harbor. Like, he he has a lot of, I don't know. Yeah, he has a chip on his shoulder. Like, and he has his Mongolian spot, which is, like, yeah. a very real physical manifestation of that. And then, but he also thinks, like, I don't deserve to be here. These aren't the hands of a gardener. Like, I don't, this mm-hmm. is never going to be me. This is a stepping stone. You are all stepping stones. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I, and I don't know. I mean, I guess that attitude is what makes successful people successful, but it also makes, like, non-successful people annoying as fuck. It's, it. When you look at someone who, after the fact, is successful, and mm-hmm. it turns out that that's how they got there, yeah. then it's all justified because the ends justify the means, right? You alienated your family and whatever, but you, but it worked out. So yeah, you own the harbor front now, yeah. so it's all fine. But if you if you just knew of that quality in a person and you didn't know the outcome yet, or the outcome is that they weren't successful, yeah, it's not as uh, lauded of a characteristic anymore. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's necessarily good or bad. I think I agree. It, I think it's necessary to disavow. Like your current situation, if you don't like it, if you yeah. don't want it, you have to leave somehow. Like, absolutely. I, I think that's kind of like a trait that is common, or at least I definitely felt that way when I like moved out of this yep. small dinky ass town that I lived <laughs> in. And it was like, I need to go. And I was just like, so like, I need to live in the city. I need to not live here. Like, the town I lived in was totally fine. It was a completely nice town. But like, you know, you come up with all these reasons, and not that there weren't reasons, but you're like, this is just like there's no culture here. Like yeah. everybody's a little bit racist, which is kind of true depending on where you are. And like, so you come up with all these reasons to be like, I'm better than this because you yep. got to go. Yep. And I don't know if you'd do it otherwise. It's really racist, his hatred. Like I remember I, I marked this one part in the book where it said like the back of Asian people's teeth are hollow yeah. to like friggin yeah. shovel rice. I was like fuck <laughs> or their bones That's and there's something about their bones and their and bones are squ- he, it was like this biological essentialism mm-hmm. type racism yeah. that i think you know that white kid who's trying to leave behind the small town doesn't hate like yeah the structure of his fucking mm-hmm. bones he's That's just true, like oh yeah. i don't like situation i don't like circumstance i don't like choices these are not choices town, yeah. he wants to physically like change himself from the inside out like at well a he changes his last DNA. name right yeah yeah i don't know if you got to that yeah but it's like haynes but yeah. i feel like that's one of the stronger parts of the book is that mm. there's is this subtle like you're supposed to know that about him you're yeah. supposed to be like the racism is so indoctrinated that frankie himself is like i don't want to be a part of this and like even there's so many markers to like when he moves to toronto mm-hmm. he originally comes to cabbage town and mm-hmm. is hanging out with like all the other Japanese yeah, immigrants yeah. and is like, this is what my life is going to be like. I don't think so. Um, so like at every move, he's distancing himself. So to clarify, were you more forgiving of Frankie, Evan? I feel like I felt like I disliked him, but I feel like I didn't mm. dislike him as much as if he were like, as I as I did say Citizen Kane, because I feel like I was judging him in a way I didn't have a right to judge him. Right. Maybe in a way, like I feel like I don't know his experience, okay. but at the same time, like it is interesting that self hatred. And I, I, I think one thing I would like not to get ahead of ourselves, but I would like to ask Carrie about is whether Buckminster Fuller as a mentor was yeah. like emblematic of that self hatred, mm. because like the the structure is like he has this great ambition and he kind of follows Uri Solomneski, the architect that he starts working for. Where it's just kind of like we want to make really big buildings and like impress and like make our mark in the mm-hmm. world without thought of like how it affects the people. Mm-hmm. But then he like kind of eventually with Floating City kind of takes on the philosophies of Fuller, which he's like also obviously very interested in architecture and design. 
but his goal is to like help people. help people like make it the best for like right. everyone on spaceship earth right <laughs> and then, but what's interesting is that fuller's philosophies are like hugely influenced by japanese culture mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like he's always in japan he's working with japanese architects yeah. all the time and because japan is like such a small country where very little of its inhabitable yeah they've like for centuries been like how do we yeah. like it's all about collectivism right like how do yeah. we make this work for everyone so it's weird like he couldn't just see that in his own background but yeah. had to go to some white guy because he took he went to japan and he like saw he took it's like he took the good parts of japan and he synthesized it for frankie in a way that Frankie couldn't do for himself because he was so mired with like the realities of it and he'd never been there. So actually this yeah. person has more of a firsthand experience of Japan than he even does. Like, do you feel like basically the principles that he ends up um, extolling and like holding on to are actually a synthesized version of his own like virtues that should have been given to him, but they had to be funneled through this like fanciful white man? Yeah. <laughs> Like yes. <laughs> culture has to be filtered. Fanciful white man. Fanciful white man. I mean, how else do you explain Macklemore, right? <laughs> oh my god! Oh and my god! That also, just made me so mad. I and and that. also, Evan explaining it to us. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So, so there we go. There we go. There Everyone. Evan there is go, a fanciful white man. Yeah. I wish that is how they had described you in your Globe and Mail. That's just, I mean, fanciful uh, white man, Evan. They, they sort of did. Yeah. <laughs> We can come back to whether right. you like Frankie yeah. or not, but that kind of has to do with what I wanted mm. to ask with the magical realism and mm-hmm. whether it worked for you or not, because I feel like we're presented with some different views of Japanese culture in a way that it's like we have these real characters mm-hmm. who yeah. are there, but I think that there's a, there's a realness and a relatability, and at the same time, there's also that like exoticization that happens in a lot of novels with like Asian culture, yeah. where it's so, like, like this... There's the mystical... Exactly, yeah. And, yeah. Like, yeah. and the stories from back home, which is like, part of it is like... Yes. I mean, what I'm talking about right now is um, Frankie's mother, when he's growing up, would tell him these stories of her passage over Mm -hmm. to Canada, basically. But they were very much rooted in that magical realism thing where these characters, you're like, is this a real person? I don't know. Are you alive? (laughs) Yeah. So there's one. See, I'm not sure. I'm confused with it. I mean, I thought it was like one interesting thing is that, um, you know, he was having the second or by proxy double immigrant story, Mm -hmm. leaving like leaving a you know, a camp that was full of, you know, his people and going to Toronto by himself. And then part of his family staying in that place that was their home. Um, yeah, do you guys have any thoughts on, on that on, on that part of the book? I think that was just like a lot of, that was a very like conscious decision-making thing. I think that really spoke to the bigger themes of whether or not you go for your ambitions right. or what. Because a lot of it was like you could stay. He could stay in the internment camp and help his family. They needed – there were definitely things from him that they needed mm-hmm. in that camp. They needed a hand. But at the same time, like you're saying, like they didn't move. There was – they were given that opportunity. It wasn't yeah. like Frankie was like, oh, I'm going to like just – make my own way to Toronto like there was kind of an opportunity there for people to move out of the camp and they chose not to go so it was kind of like a fear of the unknown versus the known a little bit I mean I really like when you're talking about how he his parents kind of are disappointed in him in some ways but at the same time they rely on him because throughout they're all like oh Frankie's smart he's gonna figure this out yeah and like he is smart like he's smarter than like he figured out like i should buy this property Mm because it's going to be worth a lot in the future i just have to kind of wait it out 
and it is kind of tense where you're just like oh when he's just like so mad about like waiting for people to <laughs> waiting for th- like things to get approved and that kind of stuff um so i feel like it is like complicated because he is like his family is somewhat reliant on him but at the same time he does kind of look down upon them mm-hmm. i, I feel know. like that's kind of a an immigrant story or a migration story that we don't really hear about as much but i think that's i think it's common like i think it's common mm-hmm. that your parents are like fucking do something <laughs> like we i think we've kind of t- touched on this before but it's like um we did what we could do to get you to get here. you a better life you shouldn't mm-hmm. really look down on what we could do when we did get here because we just got here but now that you're here like do something bring us up with you yeah i think that expectation is a very very common expectation yeah i think i think that expectation of like there was a reason why we moved yeah and it's you yeah is a very real pressure so up next we're talking with carrie sakamoto about her book floating city One thing about inherited stories or things that we hear about, did you count the number of steps coming up here? No, I no? didn't. <laughs> Do you want to tell why? Can you say a little bit about why I might have asked you that question? Oh, yes, because uh, there's a tower that uh, the main character, Frankie, builds. Um, and it's, it's really based on the CN Tower. Uh, and his elderly father, one day when it's under construction, and the elevator is not working, he decides to just climb up. He's carrying his groceries from the Japanese food store, and he trudges up and he counts the steps. And there is a superstition in uh, Japanese and Chinese uh, culture that number four is a bad luck number because it also means uh, signifies death. So he counts the numbers to see if they're divisible by four. So one of the first things we do is, um, would you mind sort of telling us who you are? I'm Carrie Sakamoto. I'm a writer of three books. The last book took a really long time. I have been very uh, concerned in my first three books, and I'm hoping to start a new chapter actually after this one. Um, I've been sort of um, inadvertently formed a kind of trilogy that have that's dealt really with my family history as Japanese Canadians who were interned during World War II, and I feel now that I'm I'm ready to put that to bed and uh, move on to something fresh. And I'm have sort of an inkling of what that is, but not totally. So we we were kind of already talking about art and the intersections of art and with this last book I think one of the things that we all found very interesting about it too was kind of art is definitely in this book with like the elements of the buildings and like what architecture can do but then there's also that trade-off of what are you willing to kind of do to become successful one of the things we talked a lot about is like are we supposed to like Frankie are we are we supposed to like him as a character are we supposed to empathize with him and what did you feel when you were writing Frankie like did you did you think of him as a likable character I thought of him as a complicated person and I think that's true of you know how we should relate to characters in fiction because that's how we relate to people in life um, and especially people who go through difficulties in life who are victims of racism who are 
uh, born into poverty-stricken conditions, they're not going to necessarily be the nicest mm-hmm. people in the world. And um, to understand the effects of those conditions on the human psyche, that has been a real preoccupation for me. I think that's a that's a really good reframing of the question, like liking versus, if I told you that some of the group's reactions were that there was anger towards some of the things that Frankie did. Would you know what parts of uh, what some of the things he did that made some people angry here? Oh, of course. Well, you, I mean, he, what's, the, what's the one thing that pops in your head that probably set Christina off and she was like, <laughs> yeah, fuck, you know, fucking Frankie? <laughs> what was the thing that you think made her really upset? Well, I think he he swindles and he cheats the people who were victims like himself. But I think that's that's part of the the sort of psychological, the condition that racism plays on you, on your psyche, it becomes self-inflicted. And you, you try to identify with power as you struggle to get out of it, um, as you struggle to get out of your position of being an oppressed, and you run the risk of becoming the oppressor yourself. There's, you know, racism becomes turned inward often and um, becomes self-inflicted on on oneself and on other victims of, of racism too. So it's a, it's a kind of twisted effect that happens. Um, so I'm curious about the book too, because like there are these kind of traditionals and rituals and things that the family does or that Frankie really wants to distance himself from in order to kind of get away from that. And I feel like when we were talking about that, some of us had a hard time like understanding that, but I also was very empathetic towards Frankie and that kind of scenario just because I grew up in a really small town and then decided to move. And so I, I kind of understand that distancing aspect, but was that was that an important thing for you to include in the book? Yes. Well, I think that's, you know, part of the process of over-assimilation. Um, he's trying to be, Frankie is trying to become successful and you know, that may mean shedding the tail of his last name. He becomes Frankie Haynes. And and that's something that's commonly done, especially among Jews. And there's that parallel, of course, in the book around that um, and the aspirations of the Sonemskis. And actually, my husband's family is, he is half Jewish. And we've often talked about this issue of assimilation. Mm-hmm. And but I think for Japanese Canadians who went through the internment, one of the impoverishments was the cultural impoverishment because the missionaries converted them from Buddhism mm-hmm. to yeah. Christianity. And the early scenes with the nuns and the sisters at the beginning. Right. Yes. And that happened in my family and um, in fact when my uncle died in the camp, my grandmother had to fight with the missionaries. They were angry with her for wanting to have a Buddhist funeral, and uh, something my mother told me later. And that shedding of, of their Japanese-ness, because they were the enemy, you know? They were the enemy not long before he comes to Toronto. He's, they're still the enemy. And so he wants to just shed everything and be like what he thinks of as, you know, an ordinary man who succeeds um, with his ambitions. And, I, you know, I personally have to say when I was growing up, because I, I guess because I was made fun of a lot and there was the taunting and the 
pulling of the eyes and I felt really unattractive and I felt like oh god why was I born like this why couldn't (laughs) I be like everybody else and I know it's such a cliche but I did feel it really intensely because you know it's very humiliating and I would see even kids doing that to my parents and that's particularly Mm -hmm. humiliating and they would just pretend they didn't see we didn't talk about Mm it it's a really painful thing to see your parents brought down in that way by kids or you know just any you know I think one of the more painful like sort of examples in the book that um, I think there's one paragraph where Frankie talks about what he had heard about how um, Japanese I don't know if it was Asian or Japanese specific the teeth and the bones were different than than the than the white people's teeth and the bones and that's one of the images that sort of um, is really vivid as I uh, think back about you know when I read the book yeah, yeah, it sort of is, you know, in my mind, too, I was thinking back to, you know, the idea of genetics and the, you know, ideas that there was a hierarchy of, you know, genetic superiority and overemphasis on genetic differences. So... Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm curious. Did your uncle, did he get the Buddhist funeral? Did your, did your grandma? Yes. Really? Yes. That sounds like a, an impossible... Yeah. Like in an internment camp to argue against and to get this sort of ritual? That sounds like an amazing sort of thing. To well, um, a Buddhist priest came from an, uh, another camp, traveled there, and yeah, I have a photograph of it. Really? In the snow and in the winter. and oh, it Yeah, so I had seen that picture from early on when I was like, I guess, a teenager. and But I didn't know what the context was until several years later. Oh. So, oh. yeah. I'm also curious about, um, I know that you kind of, just from working with you on the book, that uh, as your publicist, full disclosure, I don't know if I did that in the first half, that you kind of found out about the floating city, um, doing some research and found out about Buckminster Fuller. And so I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about how you kind of came to delve into the architectural aspects of it and why, why that seemed like a good fit for this story. I think, so what happened was um, a friend of mine, Bruce Colbera, And I have to say, I've had an interest in architecture. Um, I I have a strong interest in visual art, and it kind of at times encompasses architecture, especially kind of sculptural architecture. Favorite build? Do you have a favorite building? Oh, well, of course, you know, everyone loves Frank Gehry, and um, I hate to be a cliche that way. But I also love this quirky building, which I know um, in Toronto, which I know people think was not a success at all, um, because I think they had a height restriction. But it's a Norman Foster building. It's the pharmacy building at College in Queen's Park. Mm -hmm. And it has these round pods in it that are lit up beautifully um, in multicolors at night. They have these, it has these, it's just a, a kind of a box a uh, skyscraper box, although it's not as tall as a skyscraper. I think they wanted to make it that tall, but they couldn't. Um, and it has these big round uh, spheres inside, which are actual study halls. And you can go inside and you walk across a little bridge to go inside this circular, this uh, globe spherical study hall, lecture hall. And it's so amazing. And every time I go by there at night, especially when it's lit up in these different rainbow colors, I just have a sense of wonder. And you don't usually have that feeling about architecture. You don't always have that that feeling. You may have a sense of something serene and elegant and 
beautiful, but not kind of wondrous. And I always think of buildings as kind of like what you were saying with like this piece of art that people live in as like it's always been to me the most impressive thing that people do is that we create these structures that are like simultaneously very beautiful and also this functional space right so like photography and that kind of people would always be like oh look at this beautiful landscape and I've always loved photos of like structural buildings and like cityscapes um, I've always been really attracted to those One of the things in Toronto also that has captivated me was, or is, um, inside the AGO is the beautiful um, spiraling Mm -hmm. um, handicapped access to the galleries. And I think it's, I find that it makes me so happy when I see kids kind of (laughs) having fun on it, although you know the security guards you know say no running no running (laughs) but um it's so delightful because it's a beautiful thing in and of itself and the fact that I mean Bruce Mao I guess maybe I don't know if he was the first one but his idea about design can lead to change Mm -hmm. social change and betterment and that is such an I you know it's so um, embodied in that structure because it's something beautiful it's something that's inviting and at the same time it serves such a good such an important um, function you know in that sort of design is leading the way in that mm-hmm. way and that that winding beautiful spiral path of that that paneled beautifully wood paneled yeah, yeah I um, love the inside ramp. of the AGO you, you like games, right, Carrie? Yeah, it's oh, not. Yeah, it's not sure. a. It's not a game. game. Actually, you like yeah. this game, I think. Not mind games. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> um, for kind of like continued reading um, for the same kind of themes or feelings of your book, to pick one song. Okay, wait. Just let's start. Let's let's not do reveal. One at a time? Yeah, let's, let's okay. do one at a time. So one song that you feel would be kind of in in the tone or feeling of your book, or books if we think about them as a trilogy. Yeah. Oh God! See, I feel like song's the hardest one. <laughs> well, you started with you started with song. <laughs> oh, that's but true. that's great. It's a great concept. I wish I had a day to think about it. No, um, I, the, the answers are better when you don't have a day. Uh, okay, okay. The main character is like he's the same age as my father, and I think about songs of mm-hmm. that era, and I guess I think about Stardust. <laughs> I don't know. I can't help it. But Stardust, I and you know, maybe a lot of your listeners won't know that song, but it's an old, old classic. It's it's enchanting in a really old fashioned way. Is there a particular version of the song? Probably Ella Fitzgerald. Okay. Okay, so Stardust by Ella Fitzgerald. That's yeah. a good pick. That's a good pick. Yeah. You, if you, if we gave you a day, you, the answer wouldn't be as good as that. <laughs> oh, thanks. Okay. So, um, and then we also do one movie. Okay. Or TV show, whichever, but I feel like movies probably. Yeah, we already know your concert. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One movie. I can't. Okay, we've been talking so much about Wong Kar Wai. Yeah. <laughs> and he is like in his day, and I, you know, I'm sorry to say he hasn't done anything recently. Okay, he gave us so much. He gave us so much already. Oh, God. Um, so which one are you picking if you're thinking? Are you going to pick one of his? Oh, I love as tears go by. Okay, that's a more obscure one of no, his. No, that's good. But I love that. Oh, I, and, and the title, of course, as tears go by. Wong Kar Wai. Okay, good pick. Wong Kar Wai is a good pick. Yeah. Good pick. Ella Fitzgerald, yeah. Wong Kar Wai. Yeah. Um, and then one book. One book. Oi, oi, oi. I was so enraptured and tortured by Elena Ferrante, mm-hmm. I have to say. 
the, the whole series are you gonna pick you want to pick one or you want to pick the whole series the whole series you've got it you know what <laughs> i think anyone who's of my temperament or my <laughs> sensibility if you read one the first one you have to read them all the quartet i'm only on book i've finished book two Ooh. so okay. i still have uh, some catching up to do yeah. well some people just really don't like it but people who like it they don't like it they love it yeah. they no, I love uh, it. and I love they lo- it's love hate like what now after you finish it what what do i do now what do i read now what do i do with myself <laughs> those are great picks yeah yeah well thank Excellent you picks. Yeah. thanks carrie for coming to talk with us i hope you had a fun time talking about floating city talking about wong kar wai and i'm gonna go visit walk around the city and look at some buildings now and, like with new eyes that's yeah. great yeah thank you so much for being here oh thank you and I think Allie, I've been trying to get Allie to watch Chunking Express for like the last... Well, it's only been a week. It's yeah. only been like a week Sadly, and a half. Sadly, I only have it on VHS. Okay. It's on, I think, I think it's, this it's weekend. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Yeah, this weekend. Is it? Yeah. Oh.